0: So cultivating maintaining mindfulness brings great benefits to us. Like when we're studying, if we're having mindfulness there, then our memory will improve and the quality of our studies will improve as well. And uh, we won't be sending our mind out to be distracted in other things, but rather it will be there present with what we're studying about. So it's the same as well when we go to work. That if we work mindfully, then we'll be able to succeed in what we're doing and succeed well. And so we use our mindfulness frequently in this way, in our studies, in our work. But if we're talking about sati, right mindfulness, uh, following the path that the Buddha taught, then what this means is developing and maintaining mindfulness for the sake of the arising of wisdom. Because when we have mindfulness, sati, there, this recollection and sampajanya, a clear knowing, then samadhi should become well established. There also needs to be effort as well. That when we are being mindful, when we're developing mindfulness, sati, then we need to have effort there too in knowing what's going on. And so when these qualities are present, then the heart will develop and develop until wisdom can arise. So wisdom in... The Buddha-sasana and the dispensation that the Buddha taught is what we call samaditi, it's right view, a view which is correct. So there's Diti, which is incorrect view, and then samaditi, which is right, correct view. And this brings great benefits to us. So right view in this noble path, well, how is it right? In what way is it correct? What does it know? Well, it knows dukkha, stress or suffering, samutaya, the cause of that, niroda, its cessation, and maga, the path which leads towards the cessation of suffering. And so this dukkha is disease, disease both in the body and in the mind. And uh, we see that these forms of disease are feeling uncomfortable, they're present, ever since we were born. When we're a baby, a child, and we steadily grow up, pass our studies, go off to work, reach middle age, then reach old age, and the end of our life. You see, throughout this entire process, the mind is never freed from suffering. When we're a child, we have the suffering of a child. When we're a student, we have the suffering of a student. And then we think that when we become an adult, then things will be very easy. We'll be able to get everything that we want. We won't have people pushing us around. We won't have a mother and a father there to manage us, like children do. And so we think that when we get freed from that, we get freed from our studies, then we'll be at ease. We'll be able to get what we want. But when we get older, then we have to go to work and we become someone else's employee. Or perhaps we become a boss, but then we gain the suffering of a boss. And so the suffering, it's never done with. And when we become a father or a mother, then we have the suffering of a parent, of having a child. So the Buddha saw this, and he was a bodhisattva living in the palace, that when his son was born, he named him Rahula. And what this means is snare or fetter, because that's what the Buddha felt he was like. Having a child was like being caught in a snare. And this was his last life. And he realized that if he didn't leave then, then he wouldn't be able to leave at all. He'd be stuck. So he had to make that decision to leave the palace, to go first. Because he had made that aspiration to... Awaken and that this was his last life and so parents they have the suffering of parents and um, they have to take care of the children, make sure they do their studies well, make sure they become well established in their lives that so they get good jobs. and so this suffering it follows us all the way from birth into middle age, into old age, into death. So there's disease both in the heart and in the body. And it's never done with. But we see that this suffering, this dukkha, is a truth. It's a noble truth. This is the first noble truth. And we also see that there's that cause for it to arise. And when those causes are not there, then it can't arise. So for us, none of us want to experience old age, sickness and death. This is something that, or things, that nobody wants. But in the present state of our minds, they're not able to accept that these things are perfectly normal. That once we're born, we must grow old. We must, at some point, get sick. We must eventually die. And we don't wish for these things, but that not wishing for them is vibhava tanha, this craving not to have, not to be, not to meet with something, to be free from something, to get away from it. But when we have to meet with them, then we suffer. And uh, this is vibhava tanha appearing for us in our minds. We see that when there is craving there, then there'll be attachment. This attachment leads on to becoming, to birth. And when there's birth, there's the various forms of difficulty and suffering that we experience. So these factors, they connect up to each other and they flow on in this way. But Lumpur Chahi gave the comparison. He said, well, if you don't like old age sickness and death, then you shouldn't eat any ripe mangoes. Saying that when a mango is just a tiny, unripe mango, what benefit does it give us? And so, if we don't like these things, then saying it's better off just to stay as a baby. But it's natural that we grow, the body must grow, it must change. It needs to develop, it needs to grow older. Needs to get old, eventually get sick, and eventually die. But what can we do to understand this, to see this truth clearly within our hearts? We must observe the nature of arising and ceasing, this nature for things to come up, to stay for a bit, and then to pass away, and see how this is perfectly normal. But how do we understand that clearly? How do we see old age, sickness, and death? When we observe these things happening within ourselves, when we observe old age within ourselves, pain, aches within our own body, or we see other people who have died, then we think that it's just natural for things to be in this way. We go to someone's funeral, and we must think that we too will be like this someday, that I'm not freed from this state, I'm not able to escape from this. So we contemplate in this way when we see these things arising for people. It's normal that when someone's born, the people are delighted by this. But we must also observe that old age sickness and death is born right there as well. And then when people die, if they still have clinging, then they'll go and get born again. In seeing in this way, we won't be delighted by birth, and we won't be so upset by death, because we'll see that it's just natural for things to be this way. That from birth there is death, and then with death, if we're not freed from attachment, if there's still the causes and conditions for birth to come, then there'll be a new birth, there'll be rebirth, and perhaps it'll be a better birth, a better life maybe as a deva in heaven, and will be freed from the majority of the suffering that we experience here temporarily. And it's better, oftentimes, for people to be born as devas than it is for them to stay on in this old and broken body. So we must study and contemplate these noble truths in order to see them within our own minds, in order to understand them clearly, in order for cessation to appear for us. So we see that suffering arises because of craving. When there's this cause for suffering to come up, then it will come up. And there are three different kinds of craving. There's kama tanha this craving for sensuality. tanha, the craving to have or to be, to become and vipavatanha, the craving not to have, or not to be. And uh, it's the kilesas which push these up due to the craving that we have, the clinging that we have towards the five aggregates. And when the mind is clinging to these tightly, then it becomes a great source of suffering for us. This clinging, it binds over the heart. And so when we experience some sensations that we enjoy, we find pleasurable, we see a sight that we like, we hear a sound, we taste something, we smell something, we touch something that we enjoy, then there is pleasure uh, towards that thing. Uh, Finding pleasure in it is kamā tanha. If it's something that is disagreeable to us, um, then vibhava tanha arises, wanting to get away from that. But if it's something that we like and we want to experience more and more, then that's bhavatana. So, there are these three kinds of craving. So, when the Buddha attained to awakening, and what brought that about was this contemplation into the process that gives rise to suffering, to dukkha. That there is avijja, this fundamental ignorance, which gives rise to sankhara's formation. And this gives rise to vijnana, this consciousness. And then from that, there's physicality and mentality, a sense of self that comes up when there is contact, when the sense organs meet with the sense object. So there's this contact, and then there is vedana, feeling, that comes up, and there's craving towards that and then clinging. And these things, they connect up and they flow very, very quickly. If we separate it out, then we could talk about it um, in this way. So from this clinging, there is becoming, and then there's birth. So for some people, they enjoy chanting, and when they chant, they feel very at ease. And if they don't get the opportunity to chant, then they suffer. But there are also some monks and some lay people who don't enjoy doing this. they feel that when they chant, then their samadhi isn't well established. And they feel that through developing samadhi and through practicing, then they are praising the Buddha in doing that. And there's the samadhi, and this gives rise to wisdom, and this is a way of praising the Buddha. But when they chant, they don't um, develop samadhi. They don't like it. And so they try to get away from it. If they know that there's chanting on, they don't turn up. They try to avoid places where they do lots of chanting. And they see that this chanting is an obstacle towards their meditation practice. But if they look at it well, they see that there's 24 hours in a day, and if we spend just one of those hours chanting, and we chant with mindfulness, then that right there is meditation But sometimes, they just don't want to do it. They feel ill at ease if they are made to do it. They see that it doesn't have any benefits for them. But what they also don't see is that oftentimes they do many other things in their life which really doesn't bring any benefit at all. They can spend many hours chatting with people about pointless things, And they're happy to do that. And the kilesas uh, push them into becoming attracted and finding amusement in the things of this world. And it doesn't bring any benefit. But when it comes to chanting, they don't like it. They think that it's an obstacle. So here vibhavatanha arising. And it arises really because we don't know what's going on. We don't really see the causes of suffering. And they think that chanting causes suffering. But what they don't see is that it actually gives rise to a lot of benefit. That as we chant, if we're mindful, then wisdom can arise. And this brings great benefit to us. And what we're doing is we're recollecting the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And through doing this, our faith steadily grows. So therefore, all of us should come to study and get to know suffering, get to know the causes for suffering, understand how that works. That when there are causes, then the suffering will arise. It'll have to come up, and it constantly arises when those causes are present. And so this craving is the cause for this dukkha, for this suffering. And if we want to be freed from suffering, then we need to be freed from craving. And we need to take it to the point of cessation. and We don't have any suffering anymore. And because we have put down all of the craving that we have, we've let go of these things, that it doesn't have a place to abide, that we have become freed from it. And so this freedom, it arises within the hearts. So what do we do to reach cessation for the cessation to appear for us for Nirodha to manifest well, the Buddha said that we need to walk this noble path this single way that takes us to the end of suffering and so we could call that uh, sila samadhi banya, this virtue um, collectedness well establishment of the mind and wisdom or we could call it uh, phaña samādhi-sīlā, or uh, Panya sila samadhi many different ways that we could phrase that, but really it's all this noble path. By noble, what we mean is that it leads us to be far from enemies, to be far from Nikhilases. It has these eight aspects to it, but we gather together into just one thing, this one noble path. It's just like how everyone has come here and we've made merit. We're all sitting in meditation now. And in doing this, we are walking on this noble path. We're following in the footsteps of the Buddha. Just like how for many Thai people, you travel to India on pilgrimage in order to follow the Buddha's footsteps where he traveled while he was alive. But it's just a short time that we go for maybe just 12 days. But the days that we spend in Thailand are many. So we need to follow the Buddha's footsteps right here in Thailand, which means that we follow this path of sila, samadhi and panya. We have right view as our leader. And this is gaining right understanding, or right view into suffering, the cause of suffering its cessation, the path leading us to that sensation. And so we need to walk following this path of sila, samadhi, and panya. And when we walk it, we really put our efforts into it. We try to practice following this way, walking this path which leads us out of suffering. Having mindfulness, recollecting continuously, whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, always be mindful of what we're doing. Always having efforts to practice in this way and do this continuously, just carry on with it. And if the path of sila, samadhi, and panya gains great strength, then the defilements will grow weaker and weaker until they're all completely done with. They're all eliminated from the heart. And here, Niroda appears, cessation appears. And this happens because we are walking this path. and When are finished, then suffering just can't arise. So if we don't like suffering, if we don't want suffering, then we need to walk this path. We shouldn't get distracted and amused in the things of this world, because that just leads us to more suffering. We should be devoted to keeping sila. So for lay people, these are the five precepts, and maybe one day a week, the Lunar Observance Day, for instance, can keep the eight precepts. For novices, the ten precepts. For monks, the 227 precepts. And in previous times, there were bhikkhunis as well. So we need to find what level of precepts is appropriate for us, is appropriate for our way of life and how we're living. And uh, for lay people to develop generosity, to keep these precepts and to meditate. And when we train in this way, then we will develop this path. We will be walking, following the footsteps of the Buddha. And we'll have to meet with happiness. Happiness in our hearts, happiness in our family, happiness in our work life. And so may all of you grow in the Dhamma.